0: This is The Guardian.
1: Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. England are back. A stirring comeback against the Germans, leaving a feel good factor permeating every part of the country, just to add to all the other good news doing the rounds. Nick Pope's fumble, just a tiny reminder that England might not. Definitely win the World Cup, but probably will. Good, Southgate makes substitutions that work, plays players in their correct positions. Bad, Harry Maguire, poor bloke. That plus those players who got in squads but didn't play a match. Uh, Cut to two policemen knocking on the door of every Watford fan. Can we come in? You'll need to sit down for this. You've sacked your manager. What an almighty shock. Archie's here, so we'll do a bit of Fulham and the Bundesliga. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Lucy Ward, welcome.
2: Hello, Max.
1: Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hi, Max. And uh, under a duvet uh, uh, at a mate's house, so might have to whisper for the whole pod because they're asleep. Archie Rindtutt, welcome. Hello. That is, just for the record, the fifth time he said hello. It's technical you don't need to know, but he was more enthusiastic with his first hello, just in case. He wasn't stretching into Rone territory with his hello to the podcast. Um, let's start with uh, the England-Germany game then. Uh, Adam says, I didn't watch the game. Looking at my current social media timelines, I can't tell if Southgate should be sacked or England are going to win the World Cup. Which one is it? Alex says, what was the sole purpose of that comeback just to get my hopes up again? Now convinced we'll win. That was better. It was an enjoyable football match. Archie were there. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed the second half a lot and didn't see it coming
3: after the first half. And, yeah, I'm sure Harry Maguire didn't want to have um, foreseen that either, uh, given what happened in the first half, where there was a moment where the England fans uh, started to sing about his drinking exploits and the size of his head again. It it seemed like, hey, things are going back in in my favour. And apparently, I didn't hear them, but there were some boos when his name was read out before the game. Didn't hear it, but I he was doing okay in the first half, and then Jamal Musiala embarrassed him. Uh, well, he embarrassed himself firstly with the with the pass which went straight to Musiala, and then he allowed himself to get nutmegged, and we had probably one of the easiest to overturn VAR decisions. Uh, there was laughter in the press box when when the replay was seen. It was he he has just kicked him very hard and fallen over, <laughs> and with just the the vigorousness with which it was denied as well by Danny Macaulay of like there is nothing there. It's like hang on a minute. So yeah, but on the whole, like look, uh, it felt like Germany were gifted the two goals. To, to to go in front and there were people going out of the stadium uh, were leaving as it's also known in English when uh, <laughs> which my ability of, uh, of performing has gone down uh, after the after the two goals and you're know, thinking this does not look like a very promising night for Gareth Southgate but the way the team responded and just played with greater aggression you could you could see that Germany were really struggling to handle it so Very enjoyable, Max. Um, Germany, I think, are in a bit of a pickle ahead of the World Cup in terms of knowing where they are at. But England and the way that Gareth Southgate was selling it was, hey, we've had had to deal with some pressure of not playing well for the first time, and it looks like we're coming out of it now. And hopefully that experience can benefit us, Uh, which is how I would sell it in his position. I think there are still question marks there, but from an England point of view, I, I think a much needed moment for them at least.
1: Yeah. I, I'll get on to Harry Maguire in a second. The head, the, the positives, I guess Lucy are around Jude Bellingham. Um, Is it, is it about time England built their team around him? It, it's Simon says, how perfect is it that a 19 year old Bellingham is hitting the spotlight just in time for the media to proclaim him the Messiah who carries the hope of a nation into the world cup. It's perfectly poised for him to miss the decisive penalty or get himself sent off.
2: Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It, He he did play well and he is a good player. But I just think quite a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon of Bellingham. I think if you watch him forensically, so I'm dampening down enthusiasm about Bellingham. If you watch him forensically, he gets caught out of position quite a lot. But because he's quite athletic, he recovers well. Um, And he doesn't regain the ball very much and he's not that effective in the final third in terms of his his output so that
1: blimey (laughs) he's not the messiah he's just a very naughty boy
2: (laughs) but but that this that is just a temper to everybody saying that everything that he does is wonderful he's a young player always learning and uh, I just think there's little bits of his game that when obviously he's a fantastic prospect but when he does sort of have learned those, which obviously you will, then he will be unbelievable. I know I'll get pelters for this, but if people who listen to this actually understand what I'm trying to say and watch it back, then they'll, they'll, they'll know. But uh, yeah, so my messages don't get carried away, but uh, there is some, he is a good young player, definitely.
1: Gosh, harsh on harsh on making the listeners watch every game back that we <laughs> comment on. Barry, I guess that is the nature, it is the nature of things when there's just a, a new young player.
4: And he's been in the squad quite a long time that people get carried away? Um, I don't think people are getting carried away, but I, I do think he has earned his place in the starting lineup. up it's, it's difficult to see him being left out now, but the fact that he is so young means it is a quite a heavy burden of responsibility, and he's not going to be brilliant in every game. He He was really good last night in a game between two sides low on confidence and i think the game explo- exposed the the weaknesses of both teams and the strengths of both teams it it's not a particularly good german side england have gone two behind to and failed to beat but it at least they scored some goals and they didn't lose and bellingham's performance was was uh, one of the sort of high points for england fans
1: Archie, you've seen a lot of Bellingham, you watch a lot of Bellingham. Would you would you counter anything that Lucy has said or or, or does she, she talk in sense?
4: It felt like if
3: Lucy wasn't here, Barry would have said that Bellingham was really good. <laughs> and he checked himself. <laughs> and I, I was gonna say something similar as well. I thought he was I thought he was uh really good last night. Um and you know, the way he won the penalty uh, and the fact that it was a fellow Dortmund player who seemed to nearly injure him as well was 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 quite something. Uh, he just gets about the place so well and has this, this energy and uh, this, I think, ability to, to also lead a team despite being so young still. And... Yeah, seen it on a weekly basis with Dortmund. It's not, it's not all that common that as uh, as a player in Germany you get your name shouted by the crowd on on a regular basis if you're not scoring the goals. People don't get people don't get songs, but the way that after any spell of, of winning a, a couple of tackles and that the Dortmund crowd all go Jude. Uh, it, it tells you just how much he is appreciated there. And yeah, to, to watch him develop, and he has been getting more into more dangerous areas now um, going forward. I think we saw little bits of that last night. Yeah, he has to start at the World Cup, even if there are, I agree with Lucy, there are a few <laughs> a few bits where he can polish that. But he. I think most importantly, he acknowledges that himself and he is working on that tirelessly. Uh, and I think that's what is going to make him into a truly great player.
1: Uh, Lucy, do you, how much credit do we have to give Gareth Southgate? He's constantly criticised for in-game management. He made two substitutions. I, I saw Jeff Stelling was very angry about them. That's the only thing I saw on my timeline. Um, and then was quite contrite afterwards. But, you know, Saka and Mount came on and they did change the game.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, we've gone into, just just standing on that Bellingham, I noticed that actually, that, you agreed with what I said. I was not saying he wasn't a good player. I was no, exactly. Exactly. Pointing out exactly. things that a coach would say about him that he needs to improve. Uh, so and yeah, um, and he is a fantastic player. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think we've got a, we're we're at a mode in this country at the moment where we are get, going against Gareth Southgate and being quite negative. And I noticed a couple of big hitters after the Italy game when big hitter journalists have just started to change their narrative. On him, and I'm thinking that's quite interesting because that only happens when the end is nigh. And I think that when you saw Southgate's interviews yesterday, before and and afterwards, um, I think he's quite aware of that as well. As if everybody just joined piles in on on him. Yes, he made good substitutions. I think afterwards he sort of said about you know we we learnt more from this week than we rather than beating teams. Four or five nil. They've learnt so much this week, um, you know, like about the likes of Maguire. But Mount Mason Mount is is my favourite at the moment. Um, yeah, you I know, watch him play for Chelsea. There's a, there's a considerable amount of people who don't rate him, but I just think he's wonderful. And the fact that the tempo raised when he came on is all what he's all about. And his goal, the reason he scored that goal is because he took it quickly. That that was that was it. Um, and that sort of jumping level of intensity had not happened up to that point. And I think there's certain players who thrive in under Southgate and the way that he plays. He's been one of them. Foden is one that doesn't seem to thrive, even though he's an unbelievable player.
1: On to Harry Maguire, uh, Barry. Uh, Andy says, Here I am listening to Football Weekly, just as Jonathan Wilson argues that Harry Maguire isn't all that bad for England. And at that very moment, Maguire clumsily tackles Musiala to the ground for a penalty-perfect timing. He started as many games for England as he has for Manchester United this season It was pretty desperate for him. You've got to, he lost possession so far up the pitch. Anyone else loses possession there, it probably doesn't end up with Kai Havertz putting it in the top corner, but that's just <laughs> what's happening to him. What what do we do? Do we do you, what what happens to Harry Maguire in it?
4: It's difficult to know. I think it depends on the amount of game time he gets for Manchester United and there's a reasonable chance he might not play again for the World Cup for Manchester United. Uh, if Erickton Hag's first choice uh, defender stay fit. In that situation, it's difficult to see how you could have him in the team, possibly even in the squad. But such is Gareth Southgate's loyalty to him that you would expect him to to definitely bring him and probably start him. Uh, Whether or not that's a wise decision, I wouldn't have him in the team, and his confidence is shattered. He was, you know, made two glaring errors last night, and and was punished for both. I I wonder, does is there a part of him that would almost prefer to be left out of the team because if he's not in the team, he can't make mistakes that lead to goals and torrents of abuse from the stands. I suppose what I
1: don't know is is how good was he. How much confidence play, you know, we all know that confidence makes such a massive difference. And there is a question, I guess, of if he doesn't play left centre-back, is there a natural left centre-back? Mings is down the pecking order, he's left-footed. Eric Dyer doesn't play the left. Can Tamori do that? I genuinely don't know. Maybe, I don't know if he's doing that week in, week out facing AC out I don't know what formation they play. Kyle Walker can't do left of the three. Ben White's playing right back. So, so I guess Archie, almost by default, he could get in unless i've made a glaring omission in my mind and as someone who watches the bundesliga every week it's the right person to, to ask that question but
2: i mean yeah I, Matt, I think the other the other person that you could play there is a is a shore or a chilwell um probably not Ch- I, I like chilwell I prefer chilwell at, at left wing back but i'm thinking about the way that he uses Kyle walker but um i just think that agree with barry really about maguire it's OK if you if you have trust in, in players and they play well for you, which, to be fair, Maguire has done in the past for Southgate. But I think he's such, at such a place now as a player that he doesn't have that self-belief. He doesn't look like he's got that self-belief. So actually, Southgate just seems to be making it worse for him at this particular stage. And and these next few weeks between now and the World Cup are so important for Maguire. He will probably only play at Man United if one of Verano or Martinez gets injured.
1: Socrates says uh, what Southgate did to Ivan Tony, uh, Tamori, to Abraham, a gay is, is like one of your it's like your parents taking you and your siblings to Alton Towers and not letting you go on any of the rides. it's um, <laughs> so quite funny. But it's interesting, Archie, isn't it, that people say, look, if you don't give Ivan Tony twenty-five minutes, how can you possibly tell if he can go to the World Cup? But then you think what well, can you tell in 25 minutes? He might have a brilliant game. doesn't mean he'll have a brilliant World Cup. It might be terrible. He might have a brilliant World Cup. I mean, that's sort of... Obviously, if he spends some time on the pitch, that is better. But I don't think it makes makes or breaks it. Southgate would have seen him do some football.
3: Yeah. And also, I think you saw the priority for Gareth Southgate was he, he needs results and he needed performances. And whilst Ivan Tony's being rewarded for his excellent club form... He, Gareth Southgate, needed a big reaction during, at some point, of of the Italy and, and Germany games, and you're going to back the players who have delivered for you before, and I think that yeah, Harry Kane is somebody I, I don't get to watch live all that often, but just his calmness going forward and his positioning, like, it... I, I, I could tell you from a German point of view, they are very envious of having a world-class number nine striker. And there was a moment in the first half where he gets he gets into a position uh, which Phil Foden actually s- somehow didn't find him for uh, for for a crossing position. Where you are thinking, this guy is irreplaceable at number nine. And I think it, it, it's it's the nature of of the place where you know the the competition there. How, how do you get in front of Harry Kane? I, that 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 that's not a simple task, and but I think that the way that Gareth Southgate sees it is, if you come into the squad, if you come into the setup, if you impress there and, and you and and you're around the group, that that is, that can be a first step, and that's that's the way it has to be.
4: I, I heard Southgate being interviewed before this game, and he he made the point that when he first came into the England camp, I think it was Terry Venables picked him, that he he didn't play in the first few games. He was just brought along to sample the, the environment and get used to it before being picked. And I, I got the impression that he sees Ivan Tony as maybe someone who will become an England squad regular maybe after the World Cup. I'm not sure he'll bring him to the World Cup. Yeah so th- there was method to his his uh, madness and uh, I'm sure Ivan Toney had had a grand time he was disappointed he didn't play I do remember chatting to Jimmy Bullard once and he he was talking about when uh, Fabio Capello picked him for an England squad and uh, but he never won a cap and that was a source of great regret for him but he was talking about when he was on the bench going going to do warm ups and he was like doing very Vigorous st- stretches right in front of Fabio <laughs> Capello in the hope of catching his eye and getting sent on for a few minutes. But it didn't work. Oh, poor old Jimmy.
1: Quickly on Germany, Archie. I mean, Musiala is what a wonderful player he is. Um, um, just what are the vibes about around Hansi Flick? Their Nations League hasn't been great. I just wonder, is there the same narrative there as there is here? It's one win in seven.
3: Or you can see it as one defeat in 15 games under Hansi Flick. In Germany, it is very much seen in the light of the former that this is still a a group of talented players who have not quite gelled together. And for all of their possessional dominance in the first half, it was England who created by far the better chances. It took Harry Maguire, Rick for the first goal. I think I said earlier that the second goal was, was gifted to them by England. I think that's actually, I'm going to go back on that. The way that Jamal Musiala turned the ball over and that they countered, it's more of a structural thing from, from England's point of view. And 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 I thought they they did that really well. I, I wouldn't say there's there's all too much optimism. And yet, because it's Germany, there is an expectation that they should go far in the tournament. Uh, last night was a, an exceptional night for Jamal Musiala. Lota Mateos said, uh, was, was quoting Louis van Gaal in the way that uh saying he used to say that Muller has to play Musiala is now in that category for Germany I, the the second half tactical switch taking off Jonas Hoffmann and putting him on the right hand side i think also had an impact uh but it was actually seeing the side of his game which we don't talk about as much uh, not the one which dribbles past four players, albeit he did that last <laughs> night. But the way he w- he wins the ball back in midfield. Counted four or five different occasions where he's nicking the ball away from players who are um, physically superior to him, <laughs> and it it just doesn't phase him. He's just playing his game, so mm. that's exciting. On the on the other hand, Max uh, Nico Schlotterbeck has given away three penalties in his five caps for
1: Germany now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so if he plays 100 times, he'll <laughs> give away six, penalties. 60 penalties. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, that's tremendous. Uh, sorry,
2: Lucy, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I, I actually thought that, that, particularly the first half, I thought Germany footballed, footballed us to death. I think Gundogan is just an incredible player. I think Hansi Flick, I think tactically he's very, very smart. I think that he, the way he played and his wide players in on our wide uh, centre-backs just causes problems. The only problem that I see is on losses is when Germany, they, they put so many players forward. They basically just leave two at the back and that's it. Now, if you've got a team that can attack with pace, um, and obviously England could have done that a couple of times in the in the first half and scored, I think, still and had a couple of chances. That would be my, my one weakness. But it just looked to me like a typical German side that were leading up to a World Cup. Um, but there's just certain things about Flick that I just think he, he's he got some tactical now. So he looks like, you know, using this, obviously some excellent players in that team. But, you know, I keep hearing the Germans talking about, well, it's just an average, it's this is an average German team. But, you know, at times he uses them really, really well. And I think that's pretty ominous going into a World Cup.
3: There are gaps at centre forwards. I think you saw that with Timo Werner's decision making at at right back. Uh, Tilo Kerr, not necessarily the most convincing either left back as well David Raum who called himself the most important signing of the summer in the Bundesliga has yet to really hit the ground running at RB Leipzig (laughs) and I'm still trying to get around the psychology of why you would say that. Uh, I think think there are still I think there are still some points there but just just to come back, what you're saying about flick tactically, the one downside to him, or, or one of the downsides, I think, can be that as we saw at Bayern, he sometimes risks so much. Uh, uh, you're, you're talking there about leaving two back at Bayern. He had the advantage of having Alfonso Davies to road runner in and sweep up things. He doesn't have that same level of outstanding pace with Germany, and I think that that could be a worry because England. Had the quality to pick the lock on the counter, and yeah, when Germany aren't able, to, when people aren't on Gu- on Gundogan's length, um, then yeah, I think there are still a few, more than a few
1: teething problems. Joe says, "Do England have a better Netherlands kit than the Netherlands for this World Cup?" I did find it a little bit Netherlandy that kit, and a little bit marker pen for my liking. I <sighs> did like the camera angles that Channel Four used. Uh, you know, it's like like striker on the Amiga. Um, And some political satire for you. Dan says, ahead of the World Cup, should we be worried that one English goal is now only worth 1.07 US goals? (laughs) Uh, Italy uh, won this group. In the end, they beat Hungary 2-0. It's a bit sad for Hungary because they started that group so well. Um, Other games tonight, Portugal, Spain. Uh, The Republic of Ireland play Armenia. Northern Ireland go to Greece. A big game for Scotland in Krakow against Ukraine. A virus has broken out in the squad. Uh, They need a draw to secure promotion to Group A we don't have a pod well the pod on Thursday is the Gary Neville pod so if something spectacular happens we will talk about it on Monday Uh, that'll do for part one part two Mike Parkin from the Rookery M podcast Watford fan will join us to discuss Watford sacking another manager
4: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra
1: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Watford have sacked Rob Edwards as their head coach, Slavon Bilic, taking charge at Mikud Road with an 18-month deal, which seems optimistic, doesn't it? Um, Edwards only took the helm uh, there uh, at the start of this season. I mean, left Forest Green. Uh, he did 11 games. Uh, Bilic will become the 17th permanent manager under the uh, Pozzo family since they took over the club in 2012. Let's speak to Mike Parkin from the Rookery End podcast. Hey, Mike.
5: You know what? It feels foolish and naive to admit it, but I once had a dream that I'd be invited on a great show like this (laughs) to talk about Watford qualifying for Europe, winning a cup. Instead, it's going to be Mike. So, Watford have hired and fired all the managers. What are they going to do now? Brilliant.
1: Um, uh, Lars Lars Sivetson went back to see what they said about Rob Edwards. In Rob Edwards, we have appointed a manager we all totally believe in and a manager who will lead and drive that change we will be supporting Rob Edwards come hell or high water we, <laughs> we believe that he will deliver what we all want sustained and successful Premier League football to which Lars said to be fair to the Watford chairman come hell or high water is a very vague term could mean anything hell high water yes sure but two defeats in the first ten you have to draw the line somewhere I mean I don't want to say oh, are you surprised Mike but
5: are you slightly surprised to, to be fair, he still might do all that because he'll probably be back again by the end of the season. Um, <laughs> surprised, probably not. Unfortunately, if 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 I'm honest, disappointed is 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 a more accurate description, I think, because what Watford supporters wanted and what it, what it looks like we were getting was a change in in approach. We have, to, we have to add some context into this. Under the Pozzo ownership for 10 years, we've had six years in the Premier League, a playoff final, an FA Cup final. We've beaten Man United, we've beaten Liverpool. We've done loads of great stuff. But what they were doing has stopped working. We've had two relegations in three years, which, t- which tells its own story. Uh, last year, we hired, what's the best way to describe Roy Hodgson and, uh, and Claudio Manieri? Uh, excessively experienced, perhaps, <laughs> managers, they, they weren't able to do it. So it, what they were doing was obviously not working. And so in hiring Rob Edwards, a young British progressive manager, someone that they said they were going to get behind, give the time to build something. Um, it, it was music to our ears. It felt like, right, okay, this is something we can get behind. We're trying something new. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to get back to the Watford that we've enjoyed. But after, what, 10 games, they've, they've reverted to type. And it's it's desperately, desperately disappointing.
4: It, it was the Watford... CEO Scott Duxbury, who who said all those things about Rob Edwards, the, the hell and high water comment. I presume it's Gino Pozzo who pulled the trigger and ultimately has the final say on how long whatever manager happens to be in situ stays.
5: Yeah, I think that's right, Baron. I think what's that? what this episode has done for Watford supporters is highlighted just how much it is Gino Pozzo almost operating on his own I mean which on one hand is is fine and perhaps understandable he's the man he's the owner he owns the club it's his train set he can do what he wants but I think there was at least some Watford supporters hoping that there were people at the top having some sort of joined up thinking and, and working at, at it together but this is this has proved that it's basically Gino Pozzo, as you say Barry making the decisions pulling the trigger when uh, when he wants how are you playing? There are a couple of Watford fans saying we weren't actually playing that well and, and there was no discernible style being being seen at Vicarage Road under under Rob Edwards. But look, come on, after 10 games, you can't really argue about that. We've had a, a, a really tumultuous transfer window. We didn't know who was coming, who was going. We've ended up keeping hold of Ismail Asar and Pedro, two obviously Premier League standard um, talents. But because they've, kept, they've remained, we haven't been able to bring in other players. Um, So it is an imbalanced squad. We're missing left and right sided defenders. We're missing midfielders. So for Rob Edwards to come in against that backdrop and all of a sudden deliver some sort of swashbuckling style was was probably asking a little bit too much. That's why, personally, I would have been happy if Watford had finished 15th, but still had Rob Edwards at the end of the season. That would have been a bigger win for me than getting promoted back into, into the Premier League. So, look, Watford weren't playing well. But, you know, you've got to give him a chance, especially in the, in the context of, of that quote you read out, Max. Mike, what's the mood like bet- amongst the fans?
3: Uh, is is it is it, would you say, united against the Potsos, Uh in, in terms of wanting, I'd say, to be able to identify with the club again um, as a fan? Because it just seems like such a, a frustrating and, and wearing experience for you right now.
5: Wearing is exactly the, the right word. I'm just absolutely deflated by, by what's happening, quite apart from anything else. What are a bit of a, a laughing stock. You know, usually we'd make a bit of a joke about it, or it's probably one of your guys' turn next by the time we finish this. No one's got the energy for that anymore. It is just too dispiriting. And I think the, certainly for me, Archie, before this incident, it's, Gino, as I said earlier, it's important to contextualise what they have actually achieved for, for what is a small football club in in, in the grand scheme of things. They, they've done wonders for Watford. But what I'd, I would have personally liked to have seen is, is Gino Pozzo to learn and to change and to evolve and show that he's willing to look inward um, and develop his methods, to develop his strategy, to try and move with the times and improve Watford and get them back to where they were. Um, that has evidently not coming to pass. It's, it's not going to happen. It's Gino's way or the highway. And Gino's way is to do exactly what he's done for the last 10 years, which on the evidence of the last two or three years, isn't going to work. Two relegations in three years and two pretty dismal relegations. Let's be honest, Watford were pathetic last year in the Premier League. Speaks for itself. So to carry on doing what, what he's been doing is, is, is disappointing. And I think it's very, very hard for Watford supporters to align themselves with that when the result two times out of three years has been, has been Premier League football. Uh, relegation from the Premier League. Of course, the difficulty is you can say you want Gino Pozzo out, but the only way the only way of getting him out is for someone to buy the football club, and unless there's a buyer,
1: where's Elton John? Where, where is Elton John?
5: I, I would suspect he's hiding behind the sofa at the moment. Um, he he, he went tour. Yeah, yeah, he's on he's on <laughs> tour. And and that you know that joking aside, that's people are looking to Elton to, uh, to to come in. But I think that's that's a bit of a pipe dream, really. What you, what you want is someone who can come in and, and make sure Watford is is sustainable uh, and successful. What football fan doesn't want that, though? And you haven't got multi-millionaire owners knocking at the door of, of clubs like Watford to take over uh, and to pump in the requisite amount of funds to to um, to make them successful and, and competitive in the Premier League. So it's it's really difficult. Who who's going to take over? But to answer your question, I don't think there has been a moment in time in the in the Pozzo regime. Where, where fans have been so united in their, in their displeasure and and ultimately distrust, really, in, in how he's running the place. Do, does Slaven Bilic excite you? I mean, if,
1: you, if someone told me this morning that Slaven Bilic had managed Watford four times in the last 10 years, I'd have probably said, yeah, probably.
5: But I, I don't know if this is
1: his first time. I mean, genuinely don't know.
5: <laughs> well, it almost wasn't. It, it turns out that they, they did approach Slaven Bilic to take over at the end of, of last season. Um, but I think uh, from all accounts, Stavon Billich turned that down. He didn't want to take over what was um, demonstrably a, a far sinking ship. So conversations had taken place. But to be perfectly honest, Max, it's felt slightly distasteful to talk about football, such as the sort of um, disappointment amongst Watford fans. We haven't really even considered what Slavin Bilic might might do. It's it's that bigger moment, really, for, for Watford supporters in terms of um, the the legacy, if you like, of, of what the Poto is going to leave behind. On the face of it, looking at it dispassionately, it's a it's a decent it's a decent appointment, isn't it? He knows what he's doing. He's got promotions before. He understands the the English game. Been there and done it. Um, but at the moment, I think Watford supporters are, are just reeling from from the news, which was, was unexpected and, and deeply disappointing. But, you know, I, I was going to say we go again. but uh, <laughs> So sort I of feel like
1: you've made it so I can't find it funny. Am I,
5: like, like, am I allowed to?
1: Because I must admit, I did find it funny. I mean, I, if you're Rob Edwards, you obviously think this is ridiculous. I guess you get a massive payoff and you haven't really lost much credibility and you can go again. He did so well at Forest Green. Remember, Dale Vince was furious when he went. But, but presumably, he, he's he's fine. So I think it's probably okay for me to find it funny. But I'll happily, I'll happily, you know, if you say this time actually, Max, no.
5: Well, what, what we always say is what for support is if you can come up with a joke that none of us have heard before over the last 10 years, <laughs> by by all means go for it. But I'm pretty sure we've we've heard them all. And I think it is important to mention Rob Edwards because on a personal level, uh, you know, I think he's been been treated appallingly. He was he was sold a job on the basis of this, we're getting you in to come and do this. Um, we're gonna give you the time, we're gonna give you the tools. To to do it, and this is a real opportunity to build something because the reality is, for every Watford manager that comes in, there is a huge opportunity because they they invariably mm-hmm. do have a decent squad, a very very patient fan base, um, so th- th- there is a there is a huge opportunity there. But but Rob Edwards has been treated badly. he will have he will have given up a, a job where he was, you know he was loved at Forest Green Rovers. Mm-hmm. um they, he got them promoted and he's left a uh, jump ship to come and join Watford. Of course he will have known what he was getting into. Of course he will have understood the um the the, the the possible problems and of course he'll be compensated. but i I really don't think that's the point. And I think the human side of things is something worth uh, worth thinking about in all this and it's and it adds into how Watford supporters feel about how the clubs acting, a decent man has been um, treated in a less than decent way. And that's, that's not what we want to see from Watford.
1: Well, I, I was going to end by saying that we'll probably chat to you in a couple of months, but <laughs>
5: well, eh, eh, did you come up with a joke? Have you got a joke?
1: Well, the one, the only one, the one I would always go to is, you know, Kike Sanchez Flores does every other one, but that is really <laughs> that, you know, I'm, there are a million people doing that one. I, I, off the top of my head, I definitely don't. But it, it genuinely, it must be really frustrating as fans because like you say, you're totally helpless. You can't just go potso out because who's there, right? And that is, you want fans to have a say. I don't know if there's any fan involvement in the club, on the board, anywhere. I don't know if there's any of that kind of, you know, does the trust have any communication with the club or anything like that?
5: I mean, I think this is time for the, the trust really to mobilise. It's been, we've been in a fortunate situation where that sort of involvement has, has, has been kept on the back burner. You know, we've, we've, been, we've been riding the wave really for, for, for 10 years. We've had some incredible moments. Um, but I think the strength of feeling now amongst supporters, you know, I did the, I did, we celebrated 30 years of the Watford um, Community Trust on uh, the weekend. We did a, a walk 19 miles around Watford called the Taylor Trek. Uh, and and it was, you know, just drenched in memories about Graham Taylor and the legacy that he left and the community, the importance of Watford in the community was was running through that. And it was such a proud day just thinking this is what Watford's about. It's about knowing it's linked to the community. It's about educating local people, putting on sports camps, all that sort of thing. That's what Watford is. And so to have the joy of that on Sunday <laughs> and then the reality of the another sacking on Monday was, was so, so disappointing. And I think, we're really feeling it is the, is the bottom line. And and I think there's, there's talk of protest, there's talk of, there always is, isn't there? So we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, ultimately I'll be at Stoke at 12 o'clock on Sunday cheering the boys on.
1: Um. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Really appreciate your time as always.
5: No worries. Thanks, guys. I'm Mike
1: Parkin from the Rookerian Podcasts. Jenkins says, does the pod know which club in the football league has gone through the most managers in their history? So uh, Slaven Village is the 55th manager of Watford since 1903. West Ham have had the least, with only 18 in their history since 1902, which is pretty mad. Uh, Notts County uh, are at the top. 71 different managers, although they did begin in 1883. So that's quite a long time, uh, isn't it? Um,
4: I think I read somewhere that Graham Taylor was Watford's maybe 18th ever manager. And Slavin Bilic is now their 18th in, is it 11 years since the Potsos took over? so. <laughs>
2: Do you know what Max? I I just sat and listened to that, and it was just brought back h- awful, horrible memories of Leeds under Massimo Cellino, which I obviously enjoyed and it, exactly the same. I've read a report today about that that people at the training ground at Watford knew that Edwards was going to go, and he didn't know, and he'd given the players time off. And honestly, I just listening to Mike there, it's just like I have the deepest sympathy for Watford and the fans because I know exactly what how owners like that operate the only thing is that they've had it for 10 years mm-hmm. is it you know we had it at Leeds for, for for only a couple of years but that that was enough it's it, it isn't it isn't very pleasant at all
1: I was going to say when it happens at your club the vi- how does it change the whole vibe around and the atmosphere for the for the players the support staff everyone who works there
2: but what what happened at Leeds is that the the, the, the owner created like a really toxic environment so he just turned staff against each other turned and so it ended up where everybody was watching the backs and it, and that's how he liked it because he thought that that was the way that uh, you know that he would get success from from the staff you know people going to to him and telling him tales about you know what someone else had done and it was absolutely awful and the players they are just like well who's coaching us today and what's happening you know it 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 really isn't pleasant and i know you you know you sort of laugh but um, you know, as, as far as Edwards is concerned, he'll know for a fact that it wouldn't have lasted long. Um, but he gives another opportunity to step up the ladder as a manager. He, he will have been on a better wage. It now puts him in a good position to get a better job in terms of a club than than Forest Green. I mean, higher up the the, the pyramid because people will just say, well, it, it, it was not his fault that he got sacked. Everybody gets sacked at, at Watford." But it's still, as, as, it's still not very pleasant as a, as a manager in that situation. It's, it's quite unnerving.
1: All right, that'll do for part two, part three. Um, we'll begin with Archie chatting about Bayern Munich not being very good.
0: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4 e.
1: Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Archie, why aren't Bayern Munich very good? It's
3: it's a surprising question. When they started the season with a 6-1 win, 2-0 win and a 7-0 win in the Bundesliga, everyone was thinking, OK, well, when is the title going to be lifted then this season? But I think it, it was a bit early. And what's happened since is, We've seen Bayern struggling to score more. And understandably, there have been questions of, oh, if only they had a tall number nine Polish striker who could score lots of goals in a season. Uh, And yeah, I think that at first, the Robert Lewandowski question was, I, I, I thought, unnecessary given how they were playing. But the more and more that, yeah, they... They go on now. They are four games without a win in the Bundesliga. It is it, it, it is staring you in the face. And Sadio Mane has has now slipped slipped away from the forefront. He'd started well, but he's 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 out of form. Thomas Muller has not been in form since February. Um Serge Nowbury, I'm also not sure what's what's happened to him. Leroy Sane's been okay. Um, but too many players in that squad are are not where they should be. There's been talk uh in, in one of the big tabloids in Germany about how the players are not fans of the system that, that Nagelsmann has been playing this four two two two. Oh, is it a Ragnik? A a Ragnik system, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um and look, I, I think that there has been an element of um of misfortune. I they've come up against two outstanding goalkeepers um in 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 some of the last few games against Rafael Gikovic of, of Augsburg who had an excellent game that but the fact is um and, and Jan Sommer of Borussia Monchengladbach as well I would I would mention fact is if Manuel Neuer is having to head head against Gikovic in the final minute of injury time for Augsburg that tells you something's gone wrong with the attacking plan that speaks of desperation
2: Arch, I've done uh, Bayern in the Champions League in between these poor results and, and looked and thought, actually, they've done really well. So at, at points, you know, the, uh, in those Champions League games. So what is it? Is it the players are not getting up for league games? Are they, you know, is he preparing them better for Champions League games? But I, if I'd have just seen those, I'd have thought Bayern are doing all right this season and not obviously not another the result.
3: That's the thing. That's how it... That's how it's felt, and it, I still think, even though they're they're five points off off the top now, which feels so weird to say out loud, even um, it's it, they've 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 not been playing terribly. I think for for, for the most part, it's only when I, I, you, you've seen the, the the effect of these draws. I think hitting home a bit mentally, and the the, the real job of Julian Nagelsmann this season is because they have spent so much money in the summer on the likes of Matish de Lischt, Sadio Mane, um Masrawi coming in on a free from Ajax, uh, Ryan Gravenberg as well. It's keeping it's keeping the squad happy and finding a team which is which is gonna be a, a strongest eleven. And I think that managing the squad and managing expectations of where everybody wants to play as well, Joshua Kimmich had a short spell at right back uh the other day and was swiftly moved from there which which speaks of well how happy was he with with that decision and I think that that's going to be his test is making sure that he keeps the players on side because if not then this season could threaten to
1: unravel title race
3: potentially Max Union yeah, Berlin the really, top of really? the really
1: do you really I mean you just sort of think all oh, this it's a nice story at the start and then they'll win it by 10 points you gotta believe, man. Okay. You gotta believe.
3: Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> like, at, at the top, we've got Union Berlin, which is a stunning story. They have no real, uh, <laughs> they have no real right to be there, particularly on the back of uh, losing Max Cruiser in January, and and their season fell away a little bit after that. And he, he was their their beating heart in in terms of what they created. But but this is the story with Union. They've continually lost players over the years and you thought, nah, okay. Taiwo Awoni going to Nottingham Forest in the summer and you're like, okay, well, what does this mean? And yet they've had Sheraldo Becker exploding into form, um, which I don't think many people saw coming. Uh, Grisha Promel who was very important for them in midfield. He went to Hoffenheim, um, essentially for more money, if we're being honest, and uh, has been very ably replaced in midfield by Andras Schaefer and and or Yannick Haber. As well, and the success of Unión is transfer bus- smart transfer business, uh, year on year ev- evolution under sporting director Oliver Runert, and and being able to find players who have maybe not had the best of times elsewhere, and not not been how do I say sh- shining runs of form. Even they've taken quite a lot of players from the second division. It, there's uh, there's quite a few second division all-stars there who you would have thought, I- is that going to work? And yet it has. And uh, yeah, the guy, I'd say crowning the success is the coach, Urs Fischer, who, it's not like Union play an expansive style of football, but actually in this season where so many of the top teams are looking very wary, the likes of Bayer Leverkusen, for example, have really struggled so far this season. Wolfsburg have a big budget and they're also doing really poorly. Um, I think it's opened up a a, a bit of a chance for an union to do well. Uh, And Dortmund haven't been all that convincing this season, but they're not too far behind them either.
1: As Lucy said, you know, they're pinning a lot of hopes on Jude Bellingham and she thinks he's shite. So, you know... (laughs)
5: Listen,
2: if I I get social media pile on because of
1: you, Max, they'll be... uh, A question from Kayan. Uh, who said, um, on a serious matter, I know it's a football podcast, please use the platform to spread awareness of what's going on in Iran. Uh, Ali Karimi is being targeted by the regime. Moon has been silenced after speaking out. Uh, who knows what else is going on? Um, obviously, uh, I'm, I can't, maybe I shouldn't speak for all of you, but I don't think any of us are experts on this, but it, it, it's really interesting. Sada Azmoon is uh, an Iranian player, plays for, by Leverkusen, um, and plays for Iran. He declared his support for the protests that are going on there. The first player currently playing for the national team to do so. He did it in an Instagram story. Uh, he said um, the players were forbidden from speaking out during the team's World Cup training camp, uh, but he said he can't tolerate to remain silent any longer. Uh, his social media post read, um, the ultimate punishment is to be kicked out of the national team, which is a small price to pay for even a single strand of Iranian women's hair. Shame on you for easily killing the people and viva women of Iran. Apparently he's taken those posts down. We can't speculate why, but it appears to be an incredibly brave thing to do. Ali Karimi, some of you will know as the Asian Maradona played for the national team from 98 to 2013. He's publicly backed demonstrations in Iran. Um, He's also shared information on how to get around blocks on internet access imposed by the government. So... um, it's a very interesting story from a footballing perspective. We'll obviously see what the implications are for the Iranian football team out of the World Cup. Of course, they're in England's group. Um, clearly, there are better places to learn about what is happening there uh, in a news context. Um, a says, "I just found out that Hames Rodriguez, the name's uh, Rodriguez, James Rodriguez. What was that headline in a in a, the name's Bond, James Rodriguez or whatever it was in an Indian newspaper? He's playing for Olympiacos. Did Barry know this?
4: I did. Uh, oh, well I done. All that,
1: yeah." Well, many congratulations. Um, Just finally, a a little bit of reflection on what we discussed yesterday um, about anxiety and panic attacks on Twitter. I think most people seem to think that it was good that we brought it up. Most thought we handled it well. Not everybody did. That will always be the way of things. Uh, It all stemmed from a guy called Harry who tweeted about his anxiety. And I reached out to him to see if he was okay. He sent this message. He's happy for me to read it out. he said, I just wanted to thank you for how beautifully you handled this on the podcast. I think... Uh, you dealt with it superbly. It kind of been easy. Um, um, I've taken real comfort from it. I know you and Barry are really close. We, we are. Uh, so thank you. And uh, it's good to know that you're doing okay. And uh, that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, on Thursday, we will bring you the interview that Barry and I did with Gary Neville a couple of weeks ago, which is definitely still relevant and <laughs> a really good listen. Um, but for the time being, uh, thank you for your time, Archie. Where's my 30 seconds on Fulham? Uh <laughs> No, well, we dropped it because you were banging on about the Bundesliga too much. Go on then.
3: Banging on?
1: You gave on, two then. answers. Go on. Go on then. Two questions to you is about half an hour, actually. Go on then. 30 seconds on Fulham. Here we go. And you started the
3: clock. Okay. Uh I'm still very unhappy about the match day ticket prices. Above everything, that needs to be pointed out. Um and Okay. Uh yeah, apart from that. Things are going a lot better than expected. Tim Ream has silenced everybody. I'd like to apologise to him because I didn't think he had it. Zhao um, pellinia
1: To be to be fair, to be fair, Archie, Barry, and I used him as an adjective on the radio. <laughs> as having a Tim Ream a few years ago, so we also apologise. Yeah, good.
3: Zhao um, pellinia is uh, the the second coming of of, of something that. Is uh, The guy could have saved the Titanic, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's just a shame that he also likes a yellow card quite a lot because he's already suspended this weekend. And Alexander Mitrovic has shut everybody up and that's quite satisfying.
1: Perfect. Love it. Thank you, Archie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. The Guardian Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens.